CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you for about the next hour as we set this time aside every weekday afternoon to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible and address those things that are on your heart. Now, I know a lot of times we sometimes can get discouraged being a Christian because we see so many things going around us. We, we feel that maybe God hasn't heard our prayers uh, because God doesn't work always on our schedule. And so we just want to once again encourage you to be about your daddy's business. You're going to be blessed in the long run. And so if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, that number to call again is 8888-ASK-CSN. We've got some lines open, and so you're invited to call, and I know you're going to get blessed as we answer these questions together. What does the Bible really say about it? That's what we're going to look at. Joining me today, special guest featured CSN speaker comes on after to every man and answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Hi and welcome. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you today. Looking forward to a great show. Well, look forward to being with you and answering some questions. And and again, it's always a, a, a wonderful opportunity to uh, be with you and, and to see the great things God is doing there. You said you're having some really good Sundays on Sunday morning. Tell us about it. Well, we've just been having a lot of people saved. Um, let's see, a couple of Sundays ago, it was up to like 20 people. And then uh, last Sunday, a good number. I don't know the exact count yet, but it was it was up there. It was close to that. So, uh, you know, just people, and a lot of them, Mike, first-time visitors, they, they somehow hear about the church, come in, and, um, you know, little do they think, I'm quite certain that... Um, coming to church that day, they're going to end up in the altar giving their hearts to Christ. But I never get tired of seeing the Holy Spirit convict people of sin and bring them to the foot of the cross where they are translated from darkness to light, from lost to found, blind to sight, and hellbound to heavenbound. I mean, you you see this trans, this transformation right in front of you. I mean, big, you know, burly guys and, you know, uh, women, you can tell they just didn't think that would happen to them that day, but it does. And, uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And though I've seen it kajillions of times, I never ever grow tired of it because it's the greatest miracle available to mankind being born again. There's no greater miracle, greater than getting out of a wheelchair, greater than blind eyes opening, greater than deaf ears being unstopped. There's no greater miracle than a transformed soul. And uh, so that's one thing. We're just seeing it happen, and we're very thankful for it. And, you know, I'm starting to tell the people, hey, if you know somebody lost in your family or whatever, bring them. They're, they might very well get saved in the service you bring them to. So that's one thing. It, when that happens, Mike, I don't. it's almost like I do care what else happens, but it becomes secondary because to me when that happens, We've had great church. Amen. And that's always, always a wonderful blessing. Well, let's go ahead and go to the phones. Again, the number 8888-ASK-CSN if you'd like to be on the program today. Let's go ahead and go to Richmond, Virginia. Hi, welcome. 
Hi, you're on the air. How may we help? Hey there. Um, my name is Eric. I'm from Virginia. Um, and I've been listening to this one guy on YouTube who uh, kind of just asked a basic question I can't really give an answer to. I was wondering what you, what you thought of it. Um, he, he basically, when whenever Christians call in, he, he just asks them how they know that the Bible is true. And I was wondering what your opinion was on that. Well, I, I believe, again, uh, not only has it stood the test of time, uh, prophecy reveals whether a book is true or not. And when you realize that one-third of the Bible is prophecy and two-thirds of those prophecies have already come true, and there's still yet a remaining one-third of that, of that uh, still yet to be fulfilled, we realize that the Bible is something we can count on. Now, when you get into these other books, uh, the works of Edward Casey, uh, uh, you know, Notre Dame, these things, they're so general, so many falsisms, that no, we can discount those and say, no, they're not true. But when it comes to the Bible, its track record is what proves that it's true. Not only its track record, but what it says about humanity is true. And what it says where humanity is going. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, I think one of the great proofs is prophecy. Uh, The Bible is the only religious book, and I'm talking about Book of Mormon, uh, the Quran, the the writings of uh, Buddha, if he actually really existed. I think he probably did, um, you know, or the writings about him, not necessarily from him, but about him and what he taught and what he said. None of these uh, so-called religious leaders ever dared to prophesy. It's not in any of the books. Uh, now, Book of Mormon has some prophecies that they have re- they have renewed over and over and over again because they constantly failed. So while there were some prophecies in the Book of Mormon, they they flopped, so they had to redo it and say, oh, you know, that's not what it really meant. Here's what it really means, and so on and so forth. So, uh, But the Quran, no prophecies. So either failed prophecies, utterly falling flat, or no prophecy, future predictions at all, uh, yet you come to the Bible and you see a multitude of predictions, a multitude of future prophecies. Uh, one, one example, Isaiah 45, one, where Isaiah predicts, uh, that there will arise a king named Cyrus who will release the children of Israel from captivity. He actually gives his name. And this was a couple of centuries before it happened. Before he, he was ever born. Gave, Cyrus was ever yeah, born. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, but he gave his name. Now, it came to pass precisely as he said. And, and that's one. I mean, only one of uh, hundreds of examples. Uh, you know, when Jesus was born, uh, hundreds of Bible prophecies were fulfilled just surrounding the birth. Uh, you know, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah, the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the clans of Judah, out of you... Shall one come forth whose goings have been from old, even from everlasting? And you got to stop and think of what he said, because he was saying an eternal, godlike person is going to be born in Bethlehem. 
And uh, because his goings or his, his existence has been from everlasting to everlasting. Well, that can only be God, God the Son, because uh, only God can lay claim to never having begun, but he's always been. So there's just tons of them. And as Mike said, there's uh, now a minority of prophecies regarding the return of Christ and latter-day events, the millennial reign of Christ, the great white throne judgment, things like that, that have yet to come to pass, most of it having come to pass. And so no doubt that the fact that uh, two-thirds to three-quarters of it has already come to pass with 100% startling accuracy. I mean, just... Just, um, you just look at it and you go, only God could do this. Only God who inhabits the future could predict the future like this. So that's one of the great ways, you know, the Bible is the word of God. And, uh, as Mike already said, it does reveal human nature as it is. It tells us all about God, tells us about so many different things. It's, it's the greatest book on earth. And that's not to mention the transmission of it from the original writings. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, there's original manuscripts. We don't have any of them. We don't have the original papyri manuscripts that the Bible uh, was originally written on, but we have copies. And you take the New Testament, there are thousands of existent copies from different times in history, uh, some newer, some older. And when you compare these thousands of New Testament documents, these existent, we call them extant manuscripts, and you compare them, they all agree. The copyists copied them completely faithfully. I mean, there may be a letter here and there, um, a word here and there, but nothing that affects uh, the doctrine of the Bible, the predictions of the Bible, or the overall meaning of Scripture at all. When you look at the extant manuscripts and then you look at other historical manuscripts, let's say Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey, there's an embarrassingly small number of extant copies of Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. Uh, I, I, I'm going from memory here. I think it's something like 10, 15. I could be wrong on that, but I can tell you it's a tiny number. Uh, you can go to all kinds of documents from antiquity that have nowhere near the affirming manuscript evidence that the New Testament does. The New Testament is the king of all manuscripts that we have as far as reliability, validity, faithfulness of copies, number of copies, nothing even comes remotely close. So just a couple of things throw out there that show us that this is God's word. And uh, it even says of itself, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And then it backs it up with these fulfilled prophecies, just as an example, right? Yeah, and and so you know, we when we look at the entirety of what the Bible has to say, uh, again, uh, the accuracy of the Bible, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, interestingly enough, predate uh, Jesus actually, and uh, the Book of Isaiah was found in those scrolls, and it wasn't what they found that uh, they were amazed by, is what they didn't find. Uh, they didn't find any changes from basically what we have today in the book of Isaiah. So we have a historical record as well. And that's very important uh, concerning the tampering of, or maybe I should say the lack of tampering, etc. So I hope that helps, Eric. 
confirmation over and over. Can I ask real quickly, Eric, what YouTuber were you watching? Would you mind giving the name? I'm just curious because I, I watch oh, a lot I, of people. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember his, his full name. It was Matt something. Um, was he claiming to be like an atheist or an agnostic? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, so Bible, he was attacking the validity of scripture. Yeah, and the Bible says only the fool has said there is no God. So, again, um, you know, consider the source. But Eric, uh, again, with amazing pinpoint accuracy, it's describing the days that we live in exactly. Again, Luke chapter twenty-one. I share this almost every radio program. Um, Jesus said, "Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles at the time of the Gentiles." Is fulfilled. When Jesus said that it was under Roman control, it was kind of a ridiculous statement then. Then it was annihilated in 70 AD by a Roman general named Titus who burned the city with fire and tore it down. And it laid waste for centuries. And now, all of a sudden, Israel is back as the capital of Israel. They're speaking Hebrew. Uh, and um, they're the capital of Israel. Just exactly what Jesus said. No place ever in the history of the world has this ever happened before. But the Bible says, and Jesus then also says, that the generation that sees this uh, will not pass away till all the rest of the predictions are fulfilled. So, where does that leave us? Well, the Bible says we're headed for a one-world order, one-world government, one-world currency. Can you see your nation failing right now? I think if any of us, uh, can make any observation. We can see that we're $32 trillion in debt, and they have no intent, everyone, of stopping spending. So as we spend ourselves into oblivion, um, and uh, again, uh, we can't, We this is unsustainable. Uh, you can't do it with your credit cards. Our government can't do it with the lending institutions. We're in trouble, deep trouble. And so I look for a total economic collapse of the United States in the not-too-distant future, wherein we'll be sucked in by the world currency and, uh, again, the one-world order. Now, again, the Bible clearly says this. Um, All we have to do is just watch it unfold. But the Bible also says Jesus is coming to take us home. And those that love him, those that recognize his death on the cross, forgiveness of sins— Uh, those will go with him, and then the world's going to get what they always wanted. Maybe you're atheist guy here on uh, on YouTube, a world without God. And the Bible says, within seven years of time, it's not the dawning of the age of Aquarius. The Bible says, unless those days were shortened, there'd be no flesh saved. In the very first part of this seven-year torrential reign of the Antichrist, one quarter of the world's population dies. That's two billion people. So when people talk, well, COVID killed, you know, millions of people, that's nothing. Wait till the Antichrist gets a hold of the world. Two billion people are going to die as he desires to bring the world under his control. Friends, we're not uh, looking at a, uh, a utopian paradise. You'll never have global peace without the Prince of Peace. And so, Eric, again, uh, have you ex- asked the Lord into your life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Eric, I, I would rather ask and have you say no than not ask and had you had had you uh, had you um, uh, 
you know, said the other. So, no, I'm, I'm glad you are. And, and so I, I just want you to, to just realize that there's ample proof um, concerning God's word. Um, again, the accuracy, the history of it, where we've been, where we're going, it's all clearly outlined. And a person has to be willful, willful blindness to, to not want to see that. So again, I would point to Luke chapter 21 as absolute proof that what Jesus said is true, because that has never happened in history where a capital city has been lost for 2,000 years and then comes back as the capital of a country that was also obliterated as well. Never happened before. But the Bible says Jesus said it was going to happen, and just as he said, it exists today. Hope that helps. Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you for your time this afternoon. I, I appreciate your work. If you need anything else, let us know. Eric, stay in line if you like. Send you out the movie Jesus based on the book of Luke. Let's go to Robert, Juneau, Alaska. Hi, welcome. Hi, pastors. Uh, good talking to you. Uh, I have a question, um, but first I wanted to uh, send my heart out to Lahaina and Maui over there. I have a special place in my heart. My wife and I were married in Lahaina. With, uh, David Corson mm. married us. And uh, he, he told me he loves to do uh, weddings, and that was so true. It was such a wonderful ceremony there on the beach. But that place, I think, is wiped out now, and I'm just it just breaks my heart. So I just pray for those fellows over there and women and children. Um, anyway, uh, getting into my question, I've been a Christian. I, I, I was uh, God rescued me in 1992 in uh, Brooklyn, New York there. And uh, I've had my ups and downs in my Christian walk. And uh, But, uh, you know, the other day you uh, were talking in depth about, uh, you know, irresistible grace versus you can lose your salvation. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it was a good talk. And I liked what you said about, you know, hey, if I'm right, then uh, you have everything to lose. But if I'm wrong or if I'm right. You got there. If I'm wrong, you got nothing to lose. If I'm right, you got everything to lose. That's kind of how I talk to people when I present to my family and friends. It's like, hey, you know, if if what I'm saying is not true, then you know you have nothing to lose. So um, I think that, and uh, getting into this question here, I just want to set it up with some uh, some scripture. And if we, you go to First Peter uh, two uh, seven and or uh, eight and nine, he's talking about you know. Uh, Behold, in Zion, I'm laying a chief cornerstone. That's Jesus. He's chosen. He's precious. And then he talks about the stone of stumbling. And I've been reading this every day because our pastor's going through First Peter, and um, Jack of Beelan was going through First Peter. So it's kind of weird that we're all going through First Peter. So we're starting in First Peter. But anyway, I'm in I'm in First Peter two for this month. So I was just reading along after listening to what you said. And um, it just hit me, eight, which was said, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And then it goes on to say, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession. And then it goes on. So I thought the key word where was it that they disobey his word as they were destined to do. But it says you were chosen. So if you go back to uh, to to First Peter 2, 1, 4, it says, uh, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then 4, 2, 4 says, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. 
Yeah. So uh, my my question, um, I like what Vernon McGee says. He says that, and this is I, I I know this in my own life. You're out of fellowship with God. People talk about backsliding. I don't know if I like that word. I like his where it says out of fellowship. It kind of reminds me of Adam in the garden when uh, God says, "Hey, where are you?" And Adam was hiding in the bushes somewhere. <laughs> um, and that's how I think our Christian life is. We we go and hide in the bush bushes for periods. But I think. Now, I want to go to something that's really good, and that's in uh, John, uh, the high priestly prayer, uh, chapter 17, when Jesus is uh, praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And 17.2 says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him, or given, he's talking about Jesus, that, to, that he's given eternal life to all whom you have given him, and then if you go down to 12, it says, while I was with him, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So you are alluding to uh, people that are pretenders, sort of like Judas Iscariot, who was holding the money, and he was going through all the motion. And if you looked at him from the outside, you'd say, man, this guy is a Christian. He's walking with Jesus. You know, there's nothing wrong with him. He's and then he was the one that betrayed Jesus and turned to, and, you know, and he was not a Christian. So I'm saying just um, for my brothers and sisters out there, you know, I, the, other, the other scripture that I like to go to is 1 Peter 5 and uh, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then uh, 1 John, uh, 1 John uh, 4.18 about perfect love casts there's there's no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has has not been perfected in love so basically what i want to boil it down to is that i think that as we go through our christian life we all question our salvation paul said to question yourself daily or daily to see if you were whether you be in the faith and i think that that it caused a lot of fear i know in me a lot of consternation but today it just hit me, cast all your cares. And I, and I was listening uh, to Jack Abelan today, and he says that, you know, do we really cast all of our cares upon him, or do are we just holding on? So anyway, that, that's kind of my question, reconciling, uh, you know, um, irresistible grace versus you, can't, you can lose your salvation. And, and the fear that it causes in people like me, which, you know, I question whether I'm a Christian, but I— I think that God is going to see me through. God is. Well, he God said he will. He'll, he'll see us through, Robert. And again, as I've told people, I don't believe anybody loses their salvation. If I lose my car keys, I haven't got a clue where they're at. If I leave my car keys on the table, I know where they are. I've just chosen not to pick them up. I'm never addressing the issue of losing your salvation. I'm addressing the issue of leaving your salvation. Jesus said, all that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. See, no wise cast out. Wait a minute. Read the rest of the verse. All that come to me. They leave that part out. God will not cast out anyone that comes to him. That is part of the covenant. But the covenant goes two ways, just as in a marriage. You, it takes two people to make a marriage. It only takes one to make a divorce. The other person will say, I will never throw you out, honey. No matter what you do, you're, you're my wife. I will keep you forever. I don't, but she can break the covenant and walk away. 
That's what a covenant is. That's what we have in the Bible. That's the illustrations that we have. And that's what the book of Jude is about. The Bible says, he who is able to keep you from falling. Now, again, he's able. Are we willing? And when we look at the context of that verse, now who is he, he's able to keep you from falling, in the context of the book of Jude, it's all about people who once knew who God was and walked away. And they all died in the wilderness, Jude tells us. So we, context is everything when we look at these kind of verses. And I, I know that God is faithful when I haven't been, and thank God for that. But I do believe there is a point, and John talks about this, where a person has made up their mind to walk away, and evidently Demas, having loved this present world, has departed. As Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the last chapter, that is what appears that this guy did. Now, will he come back? I don't know. Can we say, oh, well, he's still saved, he's in heaven I'm not going to say that. The Bible doesn't say that. Well, once a son, always a son, the prodigal son. But I tell everybody, if he would have died in the pigsty, he would have been in the pigsty. So we have to understand all these verses and not soft pedal them to fit church dogma or denominational belief. But what does the Bible say on these topics? Jesus did not say, uh, uh, Again, he said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Uh, The Bible says you can't do anything unless you're attached to the vine. Again, um, all that come to me, I will no wise cast out. He doesn't say, since you come to me, I will in no wise cast out if you come to me. That's the question today. It's not a matter of works. Where's your heart? And that's what I tell people all the time. It's not a matter of our efforts, but it's where is your heart? And that's not works, friends. That's faith. Where does your hope lie? All of us listening today, where does your hope lie? Well, you know, if my hope lies in my seven years of food in my basement, well, you may have misplaced faith. Well, you know, my, you know, I, I know my uh, 401k is going to take care of me. Until the government makes it a 201K or a 101K or nothing at all. Well, you know, I'm going to trust in, in, you know, anything else. See, where does our hope lie? I think that's so important. When we come back, Robert, stay in line. And um, Jeff, I want your thoughts on this too. So um, we're coming up on a break, everyone. We don't want you to go away. When we come back, we'll have more, lots more. To every man and answer right after this. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to CSN Radio, where God's Word is heard. Did you know your financial support is a primary reason we can broadcast over 400 stations nationwide? It's true! We are grateful for your partnership. As you know, our nation is battling over religious and civil freedoms. Here at CSN Radio, Our listeners can trust us to be a solid biblical teaching foundation and share a Christian perspective on current times. The importance of reaching the masses is greater than ever. We need your support in this uncertain time of chaos and strife. 
We are excited to share that we plan to add more stations in 2023 and 2024. This means we will reach more of the lost, broken, and deceived. Mark 16 verse 15 quotes Jesus. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We need your support in funding the building of these new stations. You can go to csnradio.com slash donate or call 1-800-357-4226. That's csnradio.com slash donate or call us at 1-800-357-4226. You're dialed in to the Christian Satellite Network. We broadcast on hundreds of stations nationwide, including multiple stations in Florida. You can listen in Greenville, Tallahassee, Palm Beach, Jacksonville, Key West, and many more great cities throughout Florida and nationwide. The full station list is available at csnradio.com. This is CSN International, where God's Word is heard. Welcome you back to part two of Every Minute Answer on this Wednesday with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. And uh, uh, very quickly, I want to just give this reminder to everybody. You can now go to your app store. You can download CSN Radio app. It's brand new. Uh, listen anywhere. It's high quality and uh, you'll really enjoy it. It's free. Go to your app store, download CSN Radio app. Uh, again, you can listen anywhere to CSN. We went to the break. We were speaking with Robert. And uh, Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, Robert, you're struggling still with the um, irresistible grace issue. And the verses that you quoted, First Peter 2, 8, uh, and the last phrase, whereunto also they were appointed. So that sounds like, they were tapped on the shoulder by God, picked by God, appointed by God, and came to him via irresistible grace. And then John 17, 2, the last words of that verse, as many as thou hast given him. So again, it sounds like God gave the save to Jesus, and there was no choice involved, but it was uh, irresistible grace. Uh, so I just want to comment quickly on that. Um, there's two ways to look at this verse. It says that Jesus would be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Offense meaning uh, you would trip and fall over him at the claims of Christ, that you must come to him in order to be saved. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anybody else. you got to come to Jesus. And Peter is quoting the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah, uh, Chapter 8, verse 14, where Isaiah predicts that, that the Messiah would be, that people would trip over him. They would stumble and fall at the claims of Christ and the need to come just to him. And so what he's saying in verse 8, whereunto also they were appointed, is not referring to the salvation or damnation, but it's pointing to the result of rejecting him, 
and that is that you're going to fall. You're going to stumble and fall. Uh, offense is uh, scandalon. It's a Greek word. We get scandal from it. And scandalon means uh, you, you, you trip. It's like you're walking along and you, you don't see something in the sidewalk that is protruding and your foot hits it and you trip and fall. That's the idea. And, he, and so whereunto they were appointed, appointed to what? That if they reject the, the uh, cornerstone being Jesus Christ, then they are appointed by God as the result of that being to fall, to, to stumble, to trip over that. So that's what it's referring to. Not, like I said, damnation or salvation. They weren't appointed to that irresistibly. But when you reject Christ or when you're presented with Christ and you trip over that, you, you can't accept it. You go, wow, I, you know, I, I want to be a, you know, a, a Buddhist. I want to be a, a something else. I don't want to have to come by way of Jesus. What you just did is you just tripped and fell. You stumbled over the cornerstone. And it's the same thing in John 17 too, as many as you has, have given him. Anybody that comes to Jesus. When I came to Jesus, Mike came to Jesus, you came to Jesus. It was all the work of the Holy Spirit. And anybody that comes to Jesus, it's the work of the Holy Spirit convicting us, but not by irresistible grace. We are convicted of our sin. As Jesus said in John 15, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world. That means persuade or convince the world, convict them of their sin. And when we get convicted of sin on hearing the gospel... We have a choice to come to Christ or reject Christ, stumble over him or receive him. And if you reject him, then, uh, okay, then you're lost. And God said you were appointed to that if you rejected my son. That's the result of rejecting him. But anybody that gets saved, it happened by way of conviction of the Holy Spirit. So it was a work of God, even though... Every man, every woman has a choice on hearing the gospel. Choose you this day who you will serve, Joshua said. Um, you know, over and over again, it's not God's will that any would perish, but all would come to the knowledge of the truth. Over and over again, the, the, the people that heard Peter's Pentecost sermon, uh, they said, sirs, what must we do to be saved? But before it says that, it says they were cut to the heart. The whole crowd. This massive crowd at Pentecost were cut to the heart by Peter's gospel presentation. But G- but then Peter said, you must repent. Well, repentance is a decision. It's, a, it's an act of your will. On hearing the gospel, you choose to respond to it and repent. And so that's what these verses are saying. They are not irresistible grace verses um, at all. They're just talking about the result that comes from rejecting Christ, and that is falling and being lost, and that is what every person rejecting Christ has been appointed to. So I hope that helps uh, Robert make sense of this. Yeah, and and again, anytime you find in the Bible, to whom he foreknew, to whom he predestined, that is all from God's uh, perspective, not from man's. Um our perspective, Jesus said, is to preach the gospel to every creature. Our perspective uh, is whosoever will may come. Um, uh, our perspective is for God so loved the world 
that he sent his only begotten son. Now that's God's perspective as well. But because God knows who ultimately would pick him and who won't pick him, doesn't mean that the person didn't have a right or the freedom to choose Christ. This is where this irresistible grace thing runs into the ground because, again, the Bible says to preach the gospel. So if people are predestined to be saved, then you don't even have to worry about evangelism. You're not going to preach. And if they're going to get saved, they're going to figure it out. So let's just uh, watch television. You know, th- see, that's the problem yeah. with it. And, and uh, yeah, go ahead. If I could just read this out of the Living Bible, this might help. And I know it's a paraphrase, but it, it really captures this. It says, uh, they will stumble because they will not listen to God's word nor obey it. And so this punishment must follow that they will fall. So there you go. It's, it's what they have been appointed to is the punishment of falling when they reject Christ and not irresistible grace toward salvation. Hope that helps. Hey, could I ask something else? Sure. Sure. So I, I realize that it's uh, you, the scripture I'm thinking of is that my sheep hear my voice. Mm-hmm. So I think that you do something, you respond to the voice. But the other scripture I wanted to bring out is he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the end. Um, yeah. Well, that's if you want it. See, you have to remember everything concerning salvation is a covenant between you and God. And the thing is, well, I accepted God, but now I'm in a party like hell. Well, don't expect to go to heaven. You have violated the contract. Again, it's like, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a picture type of marriage. You can be the most faithful mate in the world to your spouse. But if they don't want to stay married to you, though you've done everything you can do to honor them, do everything basically that God says he'll do towards us, but you want to walk out the door, hey, there's nothing that... Now, God can put things in a person's life to cause them to turn around, which I believe he will try to do. But the thing is, it's a covenant. It's between two people. Now, this idea of, well, I didn't do anything to earn salvation, and I can't do anything to lose salvation. I don't know what Bible they got that out of, but it isn't out out of our Bible. Very clearly, Jesus said, if you abide in me, uh, I all that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Again, it doesn't say, since you've come to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to me, it's still conditional. That condition is faith. Where does our faith lie? Now, again, God is faithful even when we're not. But if a person has polarized against the Lord. Revelation chapter 3, addressing an entire church, I won't blot your name out of the book of life. Then in Revelation 22, if you tamper with the words of Revelation, you're going to get your name blotted out of the book of life. Well, you had to be saved to get it into the book of life in the first place. So the idea of, well, you never can lose your salvation. Again, what Bible are they reading? They're reading selective verses, ignoring or discounting any verses that go against that. I believe as a Christian, we are all as eternally secure as we want to be in that covenant. But to say, well, since I accept the Lord, I, I you know, I, I've got some arguments with God right now, and so I'm going to do this, basically pulling a 
Ademus. Um, oh, well, they're still saved. They're just going to lose the rewards. What verse is that? See, people make stuff up now because they, they, it, they're having itching ears. I want fire insurance, but I want to party on. And this is where the problem comes from. And so this is why I believe when the Bible says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, you might find a lot of namesayers. I like what James Vernon McGee says on this one. You'll find, a, you, you'll, you'll find some believers and you'll find a lot of make-believers. But the thing is, nevertheless, it's where our faith lies. Not works, but faith. And again, I tell people, if the son, prodigal son, would have died in the pigsty, he would have died in the pigsty. Don't be in the pigsty. Come home to daddy right now and never leave his side. That's what the Bible is compelling us to do. That is the covenant that God has with us. So, hope that helps, Robert. Uh, yeah, so you rang a bell there. Second uh, Kings 23.3. Um, I was just reading that. Jo- jo- Josiah, mm-hmm. he said, And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book and all the people joined in the covenant. So that's the other word that hit me too today. So thank you. I, I appreciate you guys. I, I really do. I've listened to you for a long time and I just, I'm just, it, it just, every day it just, it's like, wow, you know, there's so much that I don't know. And, Amen. Um, I just appreciate it. Thank well, you. God bless you. Stay online if you like. Send you out the movie Jesus. Let's go to Nick, Carson City, Nevada. Hi, welcome. Hi, pastors. My question is, um, so man is composed of body, soul, and spirit. We have an eternal spirit. Mm-hmm. And, so was Jesus given a spirit like man? And kind of my question going along with that is, you know, are there, so are there four parts to the Godhead? I mean, I know there isn't any mention of, you know, uh, Jesus' spirit in the Old Testament, or excuse me, in the New Testament afterward, but I just wondered, uh, did Jesus have a spirit as man has a spirit? Well, I believe he did because uh, he was fully God and fully man. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, he did. He was uh, he was truly God, truly man, truly man, and truly God. Now, that's the whole notion of the great condescension when Jesus came to the earth and be and essentially God wrapped himself in human skin. Uh, he became like us, and the the best set of passages on this is in uh, Philippians. Uh, chapter two, where we read, uh, Paul gives really one of the greatest, uh, Christological explanations of the coming of Jesus to the earth that, uh, we've got. And he says in Philippians two, if I can get to it real quickly, Philippians two, um, well, I'm having a hard time getting to it. My, my Bible is falling apart on me. I've been using it too much. Do you know what they say? They Here say a Bible, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody that isn't. Who, who isn't? <laughs> there you go. Uh, but it, here it is. He says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So he was in the form of God. That means he was God. 
he didn't think it was robbery to, to say he was equal with God because it wouldn't robbing anything from God to say it. Made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being in fa- found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, the death of the cross. So uh, clearly Paul is saying that Jesus became uh, truly human and he was truly God at the very same time. And this is, a, there's a fancy theological term for this and it's called the hypostatic union. And the hypostatic union teaches that never did Jesus lose his deity. There's a teaching flying around out there. I've heard a couple of very high profile preachers uh, say this really even in the last couple of weeks. And it really shocked me because this, this person said, uh, when Jesus came to earth, he left all his divinity in heaven and became fully human. And the miracles he did, none of them were done as God, <laughs> but as Jesus walking by faith, just like we do. That's off. And sort of, <laughs> yeah. And he, and this was a, a very, very well known. Uh, preacher, uh, in our area here. And, uh, so, uh, he, you know, used to be that would have been called a heresy because it's the kenosis her- heresy because kanao is talking about Jesus becoming a man and, uh, God the Son became a human being. That's kanao. The kenosis heresy is that he left his divinity in heaven. He did not do that. He has never for a microsecond been separated from his divinity. That's the hypostatic union. We, most people who say, teach what this person did, they simply do not understand the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union is clear. Instead of saying all God, all man, all man, all God, it's even better to say truly human, truly God, truly God, truly human. He was both. And that's, that's the dichotomy. Jesus walk the earth with two natures. And we've got to get a handle on this. You know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, Father, if there's any way out of this, uh, you know, help me. If there's any way out of this, show me. Or if there's any way out of this, do it. That was the truly human talking. Uh, on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the truly human talking. But when they came to arrest him and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am, I am he. They all fell backward. Well, that was truly God that caused that to happen when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he lit up brighter than the sun. That was the truly God part of Jesus. That was his divine nature shining through. So from the time he was born uh, in Bethlehem, working as a carpenter with his father, uh, Joseph, that is his stepfather, Joseph, and um, all the way to getting baptized by John. He had a dual nature. The only thing different when he was at home with Joseph and Mary is he was divinity in check. He was divinity restrained. But he he never ceased to be divinity because he never sinned. So as you know, truly divine, he never, ever sinned. 
And uh, so you have both going on in Jesus' life, and, and that's the best I know to explain it, Mike. Hope that helps. No, I completely agree with Jeff. Um, but my question, I guess my question kind of is more of, was Jesus given a spirit uh, when he was uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit? Uh, or did that, you know, because he's always existed. Yes, but the, the miraculous conception was by way of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel told Mary, the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you, and that which is conceived in you will be called the Son of God. So the miraculous conception was absolutely by way of the Holy Spirit, which is the only way that Jesus' Father could have been God. So I hope that helps. Yeah, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, uh, you know, this Jesus' uh, spirit that dwelt in his body. Well, it, it, it was, was him. That's who he is. Uh, his spirit, I believe, was was divine. I, I think that's who he is. That, that's, Absolutely. That's who he is. Just like you're you inside when you take away all the other stuff. Well, who uh, that spirit that was in Jesus, that's who he is. But he then was in an earthly body. And so I believe this is why we can see this 100% man, 100% God. I don't know how you can be 200% of anything, but he was. It wasn't that he was 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% of both. Hope that helps, Nick. Yes, I, I completely agree. I'm just trying to understand if, uh, you know, if Jesus had a spirit... Sure he did. It was his divine spirit. Mm -hmm. Remember, he said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. Remember that? Well, that means he had to be, uh, that part of him had to be preexistent to his body. That goes clear back to the uh, to Genesis. So understanding that, uh, that, that spirit that was in him uh, is who he is. So hope that helps. Stay in line, Nick. Send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll enjoy. Let's go to Tom, Sacramento. We're trying to get through a couple more program, a couple more callers here. Tom, hi, welcome. Hi, pastors. Thank you. Um, I was calling some of my uh, studying and, and such. Uh, I was trying to find if there are some, a, a biblical list of uh, attributes, description of the Antichrist. Oh, I'm sure there's a list. He'll, he'll have a head wound. He'll recover from the head wound. Um, uh, the whole world will wander out. Who's able to make war with the beast? Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, the Bible describes the Antichrist in a lot of different ways. Um, and, uh, you know, just says he's going to be the man of sin. He opposes and exalts himself above God. He's going to be very persuasive, very charming. He's going to appear on the political scene overnight. Uh, he quickly seizes power. Uh, he, uh, will have a little sidekick with him, sort of a demonic John the Baptist called the false prophet who will do signs and wonders, uh, literally, supernaturally by the power of Satan, the working of Satan. And the Bible says that the Antichrist himself will appear by the working of Satan. Now we're not saying he's, he's miraculously conceived like Jesus was, but he does arrive on the world stage by the working of Satan. So if, if ever there was an evil individual, consummately evil, fully evil, 
you know, frighteningly evil, uh, this would be your guy. A lot of expl- a lot of descriptions of him, uh, but those are a few. I hope that helps, Tom. Hope it helps, Tom. Yeah, I just didn't know if there was anything in terms of what uh, section of the world he's from or anything like that. Or- well, m- many people believe he'll be probably of, of Jewish uh, descent because the the Jews would probably not accept a Gentile as uh uh, uh, you know, a type of savior. I don't believe the Jewish nation is going to accept him as Christ, but I believe they're going to accept him as their uh, long-waited uh, uh, person that will intercede for them. Um, it's when he declares to the world that he's God from the temple there in Jerusalem, not yet built, maybe very possibly during the dedication. This is when the Jewish eyes are open. They know that they have been misled by this guy and Jesus said, don't even go back in your house to take your coat, run for the hills. And with modern warfare, surface terror rockets, um, I think the Antichrist is going to be fully equipped to bring swift retaliation upon the nation of Israel for their rejection of him being God. Uh, after all I've done for them, giving them, you know, the Temple Mount to build their temple, all these kinds of things, I believe that uh, he'll bring swift retaliation to suffer the humility of the uh, the, the being a laughingstock to the world. Uh, so I believe this is why the swift retaliation that Jesus sp- spoke of concerning the abomination, which makes desolate. So hope that helps. Yes. Thank you, pastors. God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Stay on the line. Send you out the movie, Jesus. I think you'll enjoy. Let's go to Anne in Santa Maria, California. We're almost out of time, Anne. How can we help? Hi, pastors. I have a really quick question. Um, we attend a church that we absolutely love, um, but sometimes the services, um, they'll everyone starts speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I'm sure it's not everybody, but it seems like it is, and it gets really loud. can be a little overwhelming. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, if it, there's no interpretation of the speaking in tongues. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. First Corinthians 14 is clear. Paul says if everybody's speaking in tongues and somebody lost comes in, he's going to draw a very obvious conclusion. He's going to think everybody's crazy. He's going to think he just stepped into a <laughs> loony bin. Uh, so Paul says when there are tongues, let it be by, by uh, one at a time and let there be an interpreter so that everybody can understand. Paul's major concern with every church service was clarity of communication. That was his number one thing. You know, I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you may prophesy, which simply means to declare truth. And um, why? So that everybody there can get something out of it, can understand, and communication can be clear. Amen. Uh, and I hope that answers it. If it didn't, hey, we're out of time, but you're welcome to call back tomorrow. We can go into a little more depth. And that goes for Kathy as well as Magdalena and John. Uh, calls, we'll put you on first thing tomorrow. No waiting. Uh, thanks so much, Jeff, for, for being on I today. Enjoyed it. Look forward to being back with you. Keep looking up. Our redemption to draws nigh. To find more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. 
To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 